Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, especially St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. Daiwa, take a look at the new Tatula Elite Reel. You'll love it as much as we do. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, by free apps from Stitcher Radio and the Apple App Store. We're available at iHeartRadio. And don't forget the podcast is always available at our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is recorded at two studios in Northern Illinois. I'm in one, Dave is in the other. We send the audio down to our executive producer, Brad Nearman from Berserk Productions in Land O'Lakes, Florida. He puts it all together. Hey, Brad, thanks for everything that you do. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Uh, the uh, editor of Fishing Tackle Retailer Magazine, our good friend, the one and only Ken Duke. And we're going to sit and visit with uh, the newly engaged Brandon Polnick, one of the best fishermen on the Elite Series. going to talk about the big win he just had on the James River and what he's going to do in the upcoming Bassmaster Classic. But first, let me hand it off to Dave Kranz, who's going to bring on our friend, Dan Johnston. Take it away, David. And as Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave. How's things going? You good? Yeah, really good. Super busy and selling fishing rods, and uh, I'm glad everybody's out on the water. The weather sure shaped up. Fish are biting, and all is good. It is. And you know what? Uh, today's topic, we're talking about the uh, the spawn, and this can be crappies, bass, but prob- primarily crappies, bass. And But you start down south, some of those fish are already post-spawn, and you get up into the Midwest here, and, and we're in the thick of it. It's happening right now. And then you get north of us, and it hasn't even started in places way up north in northern Wisconsin, Minnesota, upper Michigan, the Dakotas, I mean, the new, upper New York State, all those places like that. That it's, uh, I mean, some of those bass seasons don't even open up for another month up there. So uh, let's talk the phases of the spawn, and uh, we can start from south to north or whatever it doesn't make any difference because they it all depends on um weather the t- water temperature and i think even more importantly um the stage that the fish are at just because it gets warm those eggs may not be fully developed yet and ready to be dropped so so that can make a difference too but uh you know it's a lot of fun to fish to spawn isn't it yeah it affects everything it's a great topic because you know we didn't even talk about rising and falling water during a spawn which is a whole nother podcast yeah you know and we could also talk about the important the reason why the topic is so important is it affects everything we do certainly right now in the midwest literally when we're fishing and what do i mean by that well we have bass on beds we have bluegills that are starting to go on beds the crappies are just coming off them and the shad are spawning So tell me that doesn't affect fishing. I mean, from every single area we have going on, um, it's it's the predator-prey relationships affected. It puts the bait fish right on the rocks. These shad get in these big tornadoes. People will see that, and they're wondering, what are these things doing? So, and we also need to understand um, what the spawn's all about, what species do differently. For example, a bass will bed up, right? You'll, you'll have the male, long story short, you'll have the male go in and scout, right? They, the male is the one that originally fans it out. Then the female will go in, drop the eggs, and she's not there that long, but she doesn't pull very far. Then the male goes back in and guards. So understand all that, you know, and you're also going to understand these little predator fish are coming in trying to eat the eggs. And bluegills, on the other hand, will spawn in like a big war crowd. There can be 20 of them in a big bedding area. So the better we understand that, the better we can understand our fishing, the better we can uh, um, develop our fishing strategy. It's it's true when we talk about fall feeding patterns or anything like that. The better we understand how it works, the better we can uh, dial in our strategy. 
Absolutely. And the uh, many uh, of the same spawning grounds get used year after year after year, maybe by different species where they come up first, crappies maybe come up first and then the bass come up and then the wall or then the uh, bluegills come up afterwards. But um, we're looking for, for places. And when you look at these beds, we're looking for places that have a harder bottom in most cases, aren't we? hundred percent. That's right where I was going to go. And I would also add that bluegills can spawn up to three, four times a year is another thing people need to understand. Uh, but yes, it's, it's absolutely bottom substrate. I would throw a little bit of sunshine in there. They, a lot of times they like sunshine and they, the bottom substrates, what drives it. What do we mean by that? We want something that's relatively hard, something eggs can cling to, but also something they can fan. So if you get in a, on a solid mud muck bottom like a lily pad field, I'm not going to say they don't spawn in pads because they do if those pads are growing in a sandy substrate. So we, we always have to remember the bottom composition is what drives that, and that's what we're looking for. And it's funny because we did a podcast a while back on spring fish movements, and the bottom composition was one of the biggest things we talked about. Because not only does it pull bait in because it warms, but fish are looking to set up to spawn. So they'll start to look for that substrate on the bottom, but they feed on their way in. So all these things tie together. And the better we understand it, we're going to be so much more successful. A lot of guys say they have a hard time uh, finding uh, bass after they get done spawning. They're kind of in a funk there. But, you know, the, f the fact that the bluegills are spawning right after the bass are, uh, tell the listeners why that's so important and how it can help them catch bass uh, based on the bluegill spawn. So why they make a bluegill colored swim jig, my friend. <laughs> I, I, there's arguably no better pattern, and it is tough. I mean, especially the big females trying to catch them after spawn because they kind of go in that stage where they just hang out. But no better place to hang out than close to a bluegill bed because you've got the Super 8 and you've got your restaurant right there. And so <laughs> it is, it's the deal. I mean, there's no doubt. Post-spawn largemouth. Speaking introspectively here, it's the first thing I'm looking at. There's two things. Hard targets close, close to like the first staging area in a little bit deeper water I'll look for, but bluegill beds are absolutely number one. If you got lakes that have them, and you can catch big fish around bluegill beds on post-spawn. The key is to use a moving bait, cover water, try to find, you're almost fishing for where the bluegills are instead of where the bass are. And if you can find, even if you mark a bluegill bed, side image it or mark it or see it, waypoint it, and if fish it, if you don't catch one, come back to the thing in a half hour. Because these fish are, these bass are, they're in and out, and but a lot of times they're hanging around those. Yeah, they're looking for that easy meal. Now, smallmouth and largemouth um, seem to be a little different. Largemouth seem to be wanted by, be by themselves, have no other uh, fish by them. The smallmouth, they're kind of more like the... Uh, uh, the bluegills sometimes where they'll get on these big flats and, and their beds are not too far from each other, correct? They're not right on top of each other like bluegills, though. No. Bluegills literally look like, you know, if you got up and looked down in clear water on a bluegill bed, I would ask anybody to just Google it, do a, pull an image up, and it looks like a, they're just literally right next to each other where a smallmouth, yes, they will do that. For, for example, if you get the top of a shoal and it's the perfect bottom substrate and you've got four big primary boulders Smallmouth love to spawn next to a target. Not always, but they if you use a big rock on a hard bottom flat and there there's gonna be a smallmouth bed on it. And if you have three or four of those rocks within fifteen feet of each other, it'll be a bed on each one of them. And I think that's your point. I, I so they do group up more than largemouth, no question, but they're definitely not right on top of each other like like bluegills are. No, not not a, but not as far apart as, as the largemouth. But I have noticed that too, where uh, big stone marker buoys or pier post uh, uh, cribs and things like that, the smallmouth definitely gets set up on them and occasionally largemouth next to a, a, a log that's down in the water. Or, um, uh, many times you, you can identify these, these beds, um, they're, they're either light or they're they're dark. Sometimes they're darker because of what the substrate is. But the um, uh, the fact that you can see them there, I think it's almost a learning curve as to how to see a fish on a bed. And sometimes that's not looking right at the bed because sometimes they're slightly off of it, especially in the early stage, aren't they? It's amazing how you can get you can think some nothing's there and they're there. Either they're off it for very temporarily chasing a chasing a bluegill out that's trying to eat their eggs. Or 
they're there and you just don't see them because smallmouth are almost chameleonistic. It's amazing how they can blend into the bottom, especially in clear water. They get that light color to them and sometimes you can't see them and you get in there and you see this black tail swimming out. It's amazing. But the keys that, you know, the, the order of attack, I would say, would be proper bottom substrate. Make sure there's a little sun on it. And any target you see, if it's a log laying down there, because in clear water, you can see a long ways. And um, and they'll spawn sometimes in six, seven, eight foot of water, but you can still see them at the bed or the target. And if you see any boulder or something, don't go in there and say, oh boy, I wonder if there's, there he is, there he is, I busted him out. Throw to it from way out uh, before that fish gets a chance to see you, you know, if you're going to decide to bed fish. Uh, but because a lot of times, if you see a target, you don't necessarily have to see the bed as a high probability there's going to be one there. Yeah, and m- many times spring fishing is, you, you may not even know the bed beds are there, but you're fishing a bedded area. So if you if you don't want to sp- specifically go and look at them and see them and cast to them like, like you're pitching something to them, right? Um, get in the areas that have the, the right bottom and where you see several beds and just go through and fan cast and cover that water and um, you're, you still can be effective that way and without targeting uh, specific beds and fish, correct? Oh, there's no question. Um, you know, cover, getting in the right area with the hard bottom is the big thing or uh, the right bottom substrate because sometimes the water can be dirty or let's say they bedded up and you get a big rain and it happened to dirty up, they're still in there. You just can't see them. So a lot of times, to your point, it's fishing an area and fishing it thoroughly if you can't do a visual. Yeah, same thing on a windy day, and whether that's crappies or bluegills or or bass, they're they're still there. They're in that they're in that comfort zone, and they're not leaving from that area very quickly. So it's. Uh... Uh, good opportunity. Uh, I think it's the best opportunity to know where they want to be uh, that we have all all season. Yeah, and I'm, I'm also going to throw something out there just because I think it's the right thing to do. If you're going to go down the road of bed fishing, uh, and let's say for bass, for example, and you're fun fishing, you're out there, you want to get your line stretched. I get that, but try to get them in as quickly as you possibly can and release them, and you you wouldn't believe how fast they'll be on that bed again. It's amazing. And it's kind of doing the right thing. I mean, you know, we don't want to use, uh, you know, four pound line and fight them for 20 minutes. And I, and I get it. It's the lighter line gets the bites. I understand that. But let's also be cognizant of the fact that they're trying to do what they're trying to do. And the future of our fishery, you know, to some degree is dependent on how we treat these fish that are trying to bed up and make more so we can catch them three years from now, right? Absolutely. Uh, always good advice from you, Dan. And I do thank you for being on the We Fish ASA podcast as always. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you. That was Dan Johnson brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And the We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. 
Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Uh, this next guest has been on many times. He has a passion for the outdoors. He has a passion for the sport fishing industry and has his uh, finger on the pulse at all times. He is the editor of Fishing Tackle Retailer, Mr. Ken Duke. Welcome back, Ken. Dave, it's always a pleasure to be on the We Fish ASA podcast, and thank you so much for having me yet again. Oh, well, we appreciate your insight and knowledge, and you know, our industry is uh, was given a gift. Uh, the gift was COVID because uh, it's not a good thing, but it was a gift to our the outdoor industries. All of them have done very well, and it, it, it caused people to... Uh, social distance outdoors and fishing was one of the activities boating all the things uh, that that we have done for years and have enjoyed we've introduced this to many new people they're here they're buying equipment they're buying boats and they're not going away they're, they're going to be here that's a gift for the industry COVID wasn't the gift but the result of it was um, you know a lot of things are going to change here things are opening up we got the Bassmaster Classic in June this year ICAST in July those things are going to be attended, not fully probably, but but much better than maybe we thought months ago. You know, I'm actually expecting the Bassmaster Classic to be gangbusters. I think, you know, Texas is pretty much wide open, and uh, the Classic has never been in that Dallas-Fort Worth area. So I am expecting well over 100,000 unmasked Texans to uh, show up for that event. And, uh, and I, I think it's going to be very, very well attended. Yeah, when you see the amount of people there at the tournaments that they have been being held in Texas and the enthusiasm and the response for uh, fishing in general down there, especially bass fishing, I, I think that's probably not a, bet, a bad uh, bet thinking that because they, they already are living again and doing what they, they want to do. And it, and it is Texas, after all, and it's close to such a big metropolitan area. I, I think you're probably right on that. Uh, how, about, how about ICAST? Do you think that's going to have some of the same effect being in Florida? Well, you know, Florida's pretty much wide open, and I, I live about 25 minutes from ICAST, which is a great place to be, especially in July when the show is here in town. Uh, I'm not expecting the usual crowd sizes at ICAST. Uh, you know, traditionally we would get about 15,000 folks there. I'm not expecting that many. I know that uh, some of the companies will not be showing this year. Uh, that's directly and indirectly related to uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic. And I say uh, indirectly and directly because directly, you know, sometimes there are travel restrictions and, and a company might not be able to send people to Florida for the show without having to endure a long quarantine on the way back. Mm. Uh, and that, that's the direct consequence of COVID, but there's also an indirect consequence of COVID. And that is that a lot of these companies are still challenged to catch up with the demand uh, through manufacturing. And uh, a lot of these companies are, are trying very hard to ramp up their production so they will have product to sell. And so that's kind of the indirect um, issue of COVID, but um, you know, I am expecting a good ICAST. I, I would, I would expect uh, something less than fifteen thousand, but still good crowds. And you know what they say about about a show like ICAST or, or something like that, and or at least what I say about it, and that is that everybody comes who wants to come. Yeah, you know, if you want to be there and if you think it's important and you and you make it a priority, you're there. And if you don't, then you're not there. But I think the people who are who are in attendance are going to be absolutely serious about why they're there, going to be absolutely committed to uh, improving their business and finding better ways to uh, to make money in the industry and looking for great new products to sell. And, and I think it's going to be a, a good show. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I look forward to attending as I always have. Um, it's a, as I also wear the retail hat since I have a retail store in Northern Illinois and I, I will have my meetings with all the factories that I normally do. Uh, yeah, concerned about getting product has been a big thing for us, uh, not for the consumers, for the retailers. And it, it, it's a concern of the manufacturers because they have items sold that they, they can't produce things fast enough. They're, and many of these factories are producing things faster than they ever have and still can't stay caught up. Um, do you see uh, a time where we actually do get caught up or is this is this more than just a, a one year we're in a year two of it really so is, is it going to get caught up and we're going to go back to uh, 
where some items don't sell you think absolutely and and that's you know that's uh, i'm looking forward to getting back to normal i'm certainly not looking forward to going back to a period where we're struggling to maintain a healthy number of anglers out there but uh you know we're gonna we're gonna get back to a certain kind of normal and and these eight million or so additional anglers that we picked up in 2020 we're gonna lose some of them uh, because they're going to have other activities available to them. They're going to be able to go to sporting events. They're going to be able to together and have, have fun in groups again. And, uh, and that's naturally going to take a toll on the 8 million that we picked up last year. So that's going to happen. And um, our, our struggle, as always, it's, it's the same every year. Our struggle is to recruit more anglers, to uh, refill the ranks of those who fished last year but won't fish this year. And as you know so well, Dave, I mean, um, many, many millions of people who fish one year do not fish the next. And so we have to constantly replenish their ranks. It's a churn, and uh, we got to keep it going. Yeah, trying to trying to keep them all involved is uh, is a hard thing to do because there are so many things competing for people's time, and and maybe with the uh, things opening up and people being able to get back to what the new normal will be, and and people want to probably get back to as close to that as as possible. But I I do believe because the sport is uh, is fun and and you know healthy and outdoors I, I think some people will uh will stay because of that and and hopefully they'll introduce uh some new crowds of people that will help fill that leaky bucket of losing some of those anglers and you know filling it up and you know hopefully those holes get smaller and we don't lose as many but uh it certainly is um uh we got to be thankful f- that we were one of the industries that that was able to survive it i i there's many that haven't, and they're, they're coming back, but we didn't get the downturn that they did. And uh, I think that's that's a plus because we we were active during the worst times of COVID and, and not totally shut down. Do you, can you see that uh, any way that, that that was a bad thing in any way, or is it all good? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to talk about the, the loss of life and loss of income and loss of of. Uh, lifestyle and, and livelihood, but, you know, COVID had, uh, COVID had a, a, a positive economic impact on the outdoors industry. And, and to your point earlier about being, you know, a, a gift on some level, there are a lot of weird gifts in the business world. Um, and in the outdoors business world, maybe in particular, you know, if, uh, who would have thought that movies like the hunger games and television shows like the walking dead would be such a gift to the archery industry, mm-hmm. but they were, yeah. they were. I remember running into one of the head honchos of one of the archery organizations some years back. And he said, look, we've, we picked up, you know, millions of new participants in our area. And he said, but they're not young men who want to go kill a deer. A lot of them are young girls who want to kill a zombie. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and so, and, and he said, he confided in me, he said, we have no idea how to keep these people. And, and honestly, I'm not sure how many of those people they kept. Probably, probably not a lot. Uh, we've got to find a better way. We've got to find a way to capitalize on the windfall that we did get as a result of COVID-19 and, uh, and see if there's a, a way to keep these people involved. It's going to be tough. It is, and I, th- I think that's a group op- effort. That's uh, retailers, manufacturers, and uh, anybody who's involved in the, uh, the uh, sport fishing uh, business. And and it is a business. Everybody says, "Oh, it must be great." You you know, all you do is get to talk about fishing, but you they don't see the hours that that retailers and manufacturers and the travel that everybody does, the writers, the all of that. So yeah, uh, to your point, the a river runs through it. Help help fly fishing, right? Uh, I mean, different yeah, different absolutely. We, uh, maybe that's maybe we've had the wrong partnerships. Maybe we need to partner with Hollywood to, to uh, promote our industry. I keep trying, Dave, but they keep telling me I don't have the look. They tell me I have the right look for your podcast, but not for Hollywood. We have we have a great face for radio, don't we? <laughs> uh, indeed, indeed uh, we do. Yeah. Well, this is a. Uh, yeah, it is nice that we're getting back to somewhat normal, and and I I like your enthusiasm about the uh, classic and iCast both. I I think the only reason I would think the the iCast because of the international travel and the quarantine, like you said, I think that's probably going to keep some of those numbers down, and um, you know. 
some of those factories, I could see them making a decision not to come because it's like, boy, we're selling everything we have made for the next year. And if, if, they're, if they know they're six months out or eight months out, um, that's, uh, it's hard to go spend money on trying to produce more sales, isn't it? It is. And, and you know, I've, I spent the last uh, four days in Spirit Lake, Iowa, headquarters uh, for the Berkeley manufacturing efforts. You know, their line and a lot of their baits and so forth. And I'll tell you, not only did I have a great time, but, but the folks at, at Berkeley have got it going on. They're, they're ramped up. They have uh, fabulous new lines of baits coming out, um, jigs, some hard baits, some other soft baits. It's it's really exciting. I think it's the best lineup that uh, Pure Fishing has had for lures perhaps ever. And I think that uh, when you see that kind of enthusiasm and commitment to the industry and to new products and so forth, that gets me excited. That makes me extremely hopeful for what we have to look forward to. And I think that... Uh, I think that the folks who fish in your audience and the folks who uh, like you are, are in that retail world, um, they're going to be absolutely thrilled by what they're going to see from Berkeley. Excellent. So, so the uh, the dealers that are all going to show up at ICAST are going to see these new products from Berkeley and hopefully from many other manufacturers, and then they're going to bring them back to their stores in their individual states, and they're going to show them to their uh, consumers. The end end. Uh, users and and uh that's that's good to hear from you because i know that you're not easily impressed this is true dave kranz i am <laughs> not easily impressed i'm tough i'm tough <laughs> and the, the new berkeley jigs that i've seen uh, a bait called agent e created by edwin evers and the staff there at berkeley uh a new soft plastic that i think was designed by mike iconelli called the gilly plus uh a new jerk bait designed by hank cherry called the stump uh, they, and, and some new and some new designs and colors and so forth from the uh, Fritz side, uh, you know, which has become famous in the last couple of years, designed by David Fritz. So, uh, if, if you like those baits, and if you uh, certainly anybody can appreciate the skills and talents of, of anglers like Gary Klein and Edward Evers and Mike Iaconelli and Hank Cherry, and uh, these these folks have got it going on. It uh, I know it's, I know this is stuff that's going to move very quickly in your shop. Excellent, excellent, excellent. This is why we have Ken Duke on. Thank you, Ken, for being on this week and uh, look forward to hearing from you again. Well, from the sunny confines of Florida, uh, it's always a pleasure, Dave. Thanks for having me on, man. And remember, keep America, Florida. There you go. <laughs> that was Ken Duke. He's editor of Fishing Tackle Retailer. I am Dave Cran. Steve Siley is in remote. And this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. We will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. 
We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. You know, if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. Our next guest is a true champion in all sense of the word. This guy can fish. Uh, he's a great teacher. And I must say, he is a great example of where this sport is going. He, he made his bones in the college fishing arena, moved forward into professional fishing. Now he's become one of the top elite fishermen out in the game today. And I think if anybody looks at the way this sport is going, they want to copy the way this guy has done it. He is the one and only Brandon Polinick. Hey, Brandon, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself, Steve? I'm doing real well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you just won a huge open victory on the James River out of Richmond, Virginia. And I, and I want to talk about that. But I want to talk about a, a number of things. You've, you've had a great career. You've had uh, multiple, uh, multiple, uh, multiple elite wins, and you hit an open here. Um, how does that work out? How do you pick and choose when you can fit something into your schedule that doesn't conflict with the with, with the elite schedule? Oh, uh, that just depends on how fast. Uh, puts out their schedule and um, kind of what my travel schedule looks like with other sponsor obligations and stuff. And so usually each year I'll fish the entire elite season and then try to pick up one of the opens divisions um, just to get more tournaments, more time on the water that way. Okay. Fair enough. It, it's gotta, it's gotta be difficult uh, to squeeze them in because people don't realize how much time it takes to fish. Yeah, you've got a, a certain number of tournaments on the elite schedule, but it's not just three days of tournament fishing. You've got practice days. Uh, you've got travel days. And then, especially last year with the COVID, we, we got into tournament cancellations and date changes, and, and nothing was set in stone. Now, now, today, this year, we're back to being a little bit more uh Set set as to where we're going to be fishing, but it it's got to be tough. People don't realize what a huge part making a schedule does for you guys. Yeah, we're on um, we're kind of on the back stretch of a three week straight tournament stretch. Uh, we had Neely Henry, and then we drove we left weigh-ins on Sunday. Or actually, it, Neely Henry had gotten postponed, so we actually left Monday, which was the start of practice for the Open on the James River. Right. Uh, left that evening, got there Tuesday afternoon. I got a half day of practice Tuesday, half day of practice Wednesday. Tournament started Thursday, and then uh, you know, fished through the Open. Open went really well, and then we turned around and drove right back to Alabama, where we came from. And uh, we're fishing on Gunnersville this week. Well, I, on Gunnersville, which is a, a phenomenal challenge, and it's a great, great body of water, one of the best bass fisheries out there. But a lot of guys have a, have a much different deal because they're going home. I swear, it seems like half the guys live on Gunnersville now. There are so many of them. Uh, it, you know, the, the only good thing about that for you is it doesn't seem like the uh, the home water guys tend to do as well, and you guys from out of the area can come in and and, and perform perform really well. But you are from uh, you are from Idaho. And you don't even have a chance to, to sneak home if you got a few days in between. What what do you do when there's a small break in the schedule? Where, where do you go? Well, we travel with a big 43-foot fifth wheel that allows us to kind of have a home away from home on the road. So we haven't been home since January of this year, and uh, we won't get home until after the Classic toward the end of June. And so it's, it's really the best way to do it for our situation because we are so far from home and that just kind of allows us to 
you know, get a lot of the work done on the business side when we do have those, you know, maybe one week off or something that allows me to kind of catch up on a lot of the other stuff that I'm not, not able to do during a tournament week. Yeah, and, and, and people don't realize, you, you mentioned it in passing earlier, uh, sponsor obligations, they don't realize that there's more to having sponsors than, than going out and fishing and putting a name on your jersey. Uh, you have dates that you have to keep for sponsors while the season is happening, right? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, fishing tournaments is probably one of the smallest portions of that, of your sponsor contract. You know, there's a lot of product development and, um, you know, content development and things that actually take up more time than what people realize. And But that's also the more important things from a marketing and sales side on the business end of the fishing industry. Yeah, definitely. Definitely an interesting thing. I wish more people understood that. They'd even feel that your job is harder than it is, and it is a hard job. Hey, you, you said you're, you're traveling the country in that big fifth wheel. You said we are in this big fifth wheel. Who is we? Uh, that would be my fiance Tiffany, and our dog, Bella. And so they they travel full-time, and then I've also got a full-time camera guy where we film every Elite Series tournament and put it on a YouTube series. And so he'll actually stay with us in the RV as well during the Elite Series event. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And that is relatively uh, new, the announcement that, you, uh, that you've that you recently made that you are an engaged man. When did that happen? Um, yeah, that happened last December. Last December. So, so uh, got engaged December, getting married in June. Tiffany got a nice Christmas present in 2020. That's right. Excellent. Well, you know, I think it's a big deal because you you were probably the the most eligible bachelor on the Bassmaster Tour. That uh, uh, that's a big deal getting engaged. And I think that is really cool. And I, I was wondering about traveling because I know that uh, a lot of the guys travel a little clicks and share information and do things like that. And it takes a lot of the monotony off of the road. Uh, you have fishing in the family, correct? You, your sister ha- is uh, is related to a fisherman. Uh, my cousin. I'm is sorry. Married I'm to sorry. Your cousin, Carl. Okay. Yeah, she's married to Carl Jockinson. Isn't that isn't that amazing, boy? And uh, uh, yeah. f- 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 figure that out. And you guys, uh, you guys get along well, I'm sure. <laughs> We do. He's one of my best friends. Unbelievable. So, how does the wedding? Uh, how's the uh, wedding able to uh, fit itself into your schedule? Well, uh, we kind of looked at the schedule, looked at what gaps we had, and and then just picked a date. You know, a date that allowed us to have a little bit of time before and after. Uh, but we're gonna drive all the way home after the classic get married, and then turn around and drive 55 hours to New York. <laughs> Classic. So you're telling me that you actually have two big events coming up in June. Yeah, exactly. Isn't, isn't that gonna amazing? Try, gonna try to win. What, what, yeah, it, this will be how, uh, uh, is this your 10th Classic? Uh, this, yes. This will be my tenth one. Tenth class. That's perfect time to score a victory in that and set up the what? Man, I want to write those. I want to write the book about this. If you win a classic and get married in the same month, holy smoke, that would be absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, see, me and Tiffany have been together for ten years, and this is my tenth classic. So I, I feel like it's just all lining up like it's meant to be. I think so, and you know. You owe it to her to win. <laughs> well, it was her birthday last week when I won at the James River. So oh, that is that is so cool. I, I hope I'm sure everything is going to work out real well, wedding wise and schedule wise. I, I don't know how you could possibly have this schedule you have and, and fit a wedding in 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 the middle of this and. 
Oh my goodness, you you, uh, you have a schedule that is it is hard to believe. Hey, you said you try to get one open in, and you picked this one. Uh, you you picked this one on the James River out of Richmond, Virginia, and uh, that's been a uh, that's been a pain in your neck for a while. That James River. Why why didn't you try somewhere else? Was it just scheduling, or or did you feel you had to go in and beat that water finally? Well, you should pick at least a one series. So I'll fish all of the Northern Open series, which contains three events within that series. Right. James River just happened to be the first one. Um, and then we'll go to Oneida and St. Lawrence River. And the James River, it's been good to me, but I've just never been able to close out a win. I've made four out of five final day appearances there. I had a fifth, two 11th, and a 38th, and then finally was able to close out a win on that play. So it felt good to kind of get that monkey off my back after being so close so many times. Yeah, when uh, I'll say I'll say you're snake, you were snake bit on the James River. Uh, I, I don't know if you look at it that way or not, but you know you, you fished a number of times. You, you couldn't you couldn't score a victory. Uh, do you feel like you want to go back and prove it, or is it something that you're kind of hoping that the schedule's not going there this year because you'd prefer to avoid it? No, I really enjoy going there. Um, you know, and anytime you can make the final day, it's a good thing. And so being able to go there, have those good events, uh, kind of gives you good momentum. And I'm the type of person that, like, I'm driven by those kinds of things, you know, I, I want to show that I can win there, you know, prove to myself that I'm able to close on that river. And, you know, if you're persistent, eventually things are going to line up and, and, and you're able to make it happen. And they line, they lined up for you big time and, and, and you, you, you proved that uh, you're not going to get beat by any water. Uh, you, you go anywhere and, and fish. Your record is outstanding. I, I, I'd like to take a quick break, let our sponsors have a word. When we come back, I want to hear about your sponsors. I want to hear about how you won this event on the James River. Uh, we'll just take a real quick break and do that. I'm Steve Sarley. This is We Fish ASA. Our main guest for today is the one and only Brandon Polnick. We Fish ASA will be right back. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I had completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. We Fish ASA is back. I'm Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. You know, if you or anyone you know would be interested in hooking up with we fish asa to become an advertising partner we'd love to talk to you and you can contact us through our website we fish 
Don't forget to check us out on social media. We're easy enough to find. Uh, when you locate us on Facebook, please click that you like us, you follow us, and share our posts. We thank you for all of your support. And we thank this gentleman for being with us. Uh, we spent a, a portion of the first segment talking about his busy schedule, but you folks don't know how busy he is and how much I am thankful. He, We're, we're recording this at the 9 o'clock at night on a, uh, on a Tuesday night. He just got off the water practicing on uh, Lake Gunnersville for a, a, an elite tournament. And I can't thank you enough because uh, let's talk about what a practice day is like. What time do you get up? What time do you put the boat in for practice? Uh, I was up at 4.30 this morning. We were able to be on the water at 5 o'clock, so I got up, dumped the boat in, and um, just got back to the camper right before you called and be eating dinner as soon as we get off the phone. How, uh, okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. That is, uh, so you got, you got dinner. And I, I've got to think you're an early to bed kind of guy, right? Uh, I'm to bed whenever it allows. <laughs> so, uh, some nights it's earlier than others, and some nights you just got too much stuff going on. You're just not able to get to bed as early as you'd like. Un- unbelievable. Well, I, 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 I appreciate you doing this, uh, I know you'd like to be unwinding and hitting the sack, and it's very nice of you to, very nice of you to hit it this way. I got what time did you get, what time did you get off the water today? Uh, I put the boat on the trailer at about eight oh five. All right. My question is this: You're when the tournament starts, you're fishing. You start fishing early. You're off the water by what three o'clock? Yeah, during the tournament, um, our weigh-ins will usually start around three o'clock all right what good is it to fish from three to eight o'clock after tournament hours on a tournament day what i'm saying is why are you practicing at times when you can't fish like if you find out that all of a sudden they get hungry at six o'clock in the evening that's not going to help you on tournament day is it or is, is it or is it not no it definitely helps because you're able to you're still able to find fish and eliminate a lot of water. Uh, if you're in a tidal situation, that can get tricky because those fish will feed on a specific tide. Uh, but it, when you're talking about a reservoir or most rivers, it's a, it doesn't really affect it that much. Uh, you know, you're really just trying to find populations of fish, find areas that have that good population of fish. And then you're able to make those adjustments on tournament day as you need to. But the more time you can spend on the water, the more chances you give yourself to find, you know, kind of that off-the-wall winning spot. Okay, fair enough. How much time is spent fishing and how much time is spent looking? Well, that just depends on the event. Uh, you know, I've had some where I just, I'm on the trolling motor for three days straight yeah. fishing and looking. And then uh, I've had some events where I'm maybe only on the trolling motor an hour a day. You know, those later summer events, uh, especially a lot of places like we're here this week on the Tennessee River. Uh you know, it could be Gunnersville, it could be Kentucky Lake, but you get toward the summertime and those fish start moving out to the ledges, you end up putting a lot of time on your motor. Okay, fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. Everybody knows that, you know, we watch, we watch tournaments on, on, uh, on the internet, we watch tournaments on TV and see how it's done and marvel at the way you guys catch the fish that you catch. But nobody really sees practice. Uh, you want to find spots and, you know, your A spots and your B spots and your C spots or whatever, and you don't want to burn a spot. So you got a bait, you're casting to a, you're casting to a spot, oh, you hook into a fish. What, what's the next thing you do? Do you try to catch a second fish? Do you back off? Do you go in and, and look at it closer with your electronics? How do you handle that? A lot of times I'll 
catch at least two, especially if it's an offshore spot and I find it's cool. Like, I'll catch two to try to get a good gauge of the average size of fish that are in there because you don't want to catch a random six-pounder and think you're on a bunch of really big fish and to come to find out there was one six-pounder and then just a bunch of two-pounders in there. And so that you you want to be able to have a good idea and if i'm like visibly looking at the bass like i can see them uh-huh. with my sunglasses with my eyeballs then usually i don't need to catch them at all because i can see the size of the fish okay shake them off uh, and you know we go to bodies of water where a lot of those fish live shallow and they'll live on the same pieces of cover like the Sabine River and you're actually it's better to shake a lot of those fish off because you can come back and get those same fish to bite later on in the tournament. Makes makes sense to me. That does does make sense to me. Um let's go back to uh let's go back to the James River uh, what is that water like? How big is that James River system that you were allowed to fish? James River is a massive body of water. Uh, I was making a almost a full hour run one way to get to my starting spot. Hmm. And, and you could have ran probably another hour past that if you wanted to. Uh, it goes all the way out into the ocean, so it is tidal got about a two and a half foot tidal swing on average and and so that that really moves a lot of those fish around and you gotta you gotta stay on your toes to stay on top of them oh my goodness my goodness so how, what did what did you do to conquer the james river and catch that big check for winning that bassmaster northern open what was the key to success for me, I, I really narrowed down into one area that they call the Chickahominy River. And it's just a really clean, fertile river. It's got a, it's got a good population of bass in it. And it's somewhere that I feel comfortable fishing. And with a limited amount of practice on this one, I decided just to kind of you know, focus on that take the limited amount of time I had and try to figure out what was happening in that section of the river versus trying to bounce around and look at everything that the river had to offer. And by doing that, I kind of got comfortable in, in one area where I felt like there was a population of fish. And then really I had to figure it out as the event went on. The first day I caught a couple of fish that clued me in that a lot of the fish were in a post-spawn kind of stage. You know, they were coming off the spawn, and that allowed me to kind of change my approach and figure out, you know, what to look for, how those fish were transitioning throughout the water system. And then day two is when I had my really big bag and had a little bit over 22 pounds. Yeah. And I jumped all the way from 50th into the lead with that bag. And uh, it, I just I happened to figure out at the end of the day, I figured out one cast where there were a lot of big fish moving into this current seam. And it was pushing a lot of big bait fish around. And I was able to catch those fish on a big 8-inch swim bait. You know, you, you just said that, uh, and, I, and I read this also, that you had to figure out the cast. Explain what that means. So the strike zone was really small where these fish were set up. They're setting up in a pretty heavy flow of current, and the strike zone was really only about five foot by five foot. And... If you missed that, you didn't get a bite. They would just let your bait swim by because it didn't look natural or it it just didn't trigger them to bite. But once I figured out the angle and how far I needed to cast past the strike zone to allow my bait to naturally flow with the current through there, then it was game on. Okay. And yeah, that was really the biggest difference 
there were other guys fishing around in that area. And I just, I don't think anyone else dialed that cast in and, uh, myself included day one, I didn't have that cast figured out until day two. That is very, very interesting. Uh, did, did color play a part in any of this? I, I was throwing mostly white on, uh, or a color called albino or black silver shad on my Arashi glide bait because a lot of these fish were feeding up on big gizzards. They kind of had that white silvery profile. Interesting. That is, that is very very interesting. Because I was gonna I was gonna ask you about, uh, you know, I don't know how big a piece of the puzzle color is, but how long will you stick with a, a color on a bait before you decide to change some change to something else? Oh man, it, if I'm not getting any bites. Uh, a lot of times I will change the technique before the color. Okay. Uh, I'm a big believer in the action of a bait being more important. And generally, when I tie a color, a certain color of a lure on, it already has a reason behind that. I'm not just blindly picking one out of my box and tying it on. I generally have looked at the water clarity, uh, the sun versus cloud conditions, and the type of forage that I'm trying to imitate. And so if, if I know those things, usually I'm pretty close on the color, uh, you know, and I may just change between one or two colors, but usually the action is the most important thing. I, I like what you're saying and what that's telling me is that you have confidence in your knowledge and you're able to uh, put together a formula before you hit the water because, you know, you, you talk to – well, some people use the same color all the time because it's their confidence color, and, and other people, they'll uh, tell you they'll just tweak it a little bit, and some people go other end of the spectrum, you know, go from black to white, and – I like what you're saying because it tells me that what we all ought to be doing is thinking about it more in advance, making your decision before you get out and start casting and have some confidence in the fact that you have picked the right thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. And I'm glad to hear that from somebody like you who is a uh, multiple elite winner. My goodness, I can't not, I cannot believe how good you are, how many times you have won in your uh in your uh, actually short career, uh, just incredible how good you are. And man, oh man, getting married the same month as participating in a Bassmaster Classic has got to be the biggest rush in the world. I, I got my fingers crossed that you are going to be hoisting up the big Bassmaster Class Classic trophy to make this the year of years for Brandon Polinick. Thank you. I'll... I will gladly take that. <laughs> I, I, I really, really hope you do. Please uh, congratulate Tiffany for me. Wish her the best. And hopefully we'll see you down at the Classic, Brandon. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate it very much. Yep. Thank you. Later, my friend. Thanks. Brandon Pollock, Bassmaster Classic uh, competitor, an elite winner. Winner on the Northern Open on the James River. Kate hey, wins all the time, man. He's good. Love having him on. He knows what he's talking about, obviously. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, our friend Dan Johnston. Always a pleasure to have Dan on the show. Dave Kranz visited with our friend Ken Duke. Editor of Fishing Tackle Retailer Magazine. A little preview on the Bassmaster Classic and iCast. Big fishing events coming up. And I get to do an interview with uh, one of my favorites, Brandon Polinick, the Idaho angler who just keeps winning and winning and winning. And he's a good guy to boot. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. Daiwa. Take a look at the new Tatula Elite Reel. You'll love it as much as we do. 
Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available everywhere that you get your podcast from. We cover all the bases. You can always hear the We Fish ASA podcast at our website, wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, please let us know. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or someone you think we ought to have on the show, please let us know that too. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner's Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.